Welcome to this podcast recording from the 2022 POD, Partnership Opportunities in Drug Delivery Conference. The POD Conference is produced by the Conference Forum. For more information, please visit podconference.com. Enjoy the podcast recording from POD 2022. Before we get into our talk, introduce myself. I'm Peter Skutnik, the business director in BD's Advanced Drug Delivery uh, Systems business. And I'm Wendy Woodley. I'm a staff scientist at BD Technologies and Innovations from down in RTP in North Carolina, where I'm a member of the Translational and Clinical Sciences Center of Excellence. Thanks. And we're going to talk today about some key considerations to de-risk large volume subcutaneous injections. But before we get started, I want to do a quick informal poll, three easy questions for the audience by show of hands. Who's been involved in product development, combination product or medical? Great. For those of you with your hands up, who in the course of doing a project has come across an issue that threatened to derail the program, especially the timing? I still see hands. And the last question, oh, I'm going to need that. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks, Andrew. The la last question, who was able to salvage that issue without impacting their schedule? I probably am not going to see too many hands. A little hard to see, right? So completely empathize. Product development and combination product development can be full of risks. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, and there are risks uh, abound in combination product development. There are the, the big ones that we know about upfront, about drug compatibility in the preferred or, or ideal container. There's compatibility between the container and the device. There's a question about reliability and robustness of the integrated container and device. Let's talk about the supply chain. I think over the past couple of years through COVID, we saw that there's some risks to our supply chain, especially as our drug delivery products get increasingly uh, complex. All of these risks can be mitigated and need to be mitigated throughout the course of combination product development. Some of them can be avoided or reduced by relying on well-established technologies that we may have within our portfolio. Others can be transferred perhaps into the patient experience and asking the patient to take a more active role in delivering their dose into the subcutaneous tissue. But other risks need to be addressed head on in the combination product development. It's best to identify those risks as early in the combination product development program as possible so that you can put in place sound uh, mitigation strategies as you, uh, as you work through and start closing down the degrees of freedom you have available to you uh, across your program. We don't always have the degrees of freedom or the options we want in developing combination products. We may have technical or programmatic constraints that shuts down certain choices for us. For example, the product that may be fastest to clinic may not be sufficiently differentiated to be um, accepted in the market and commercially successful. Or conversely, there may be a product with uh, an optimal target product profile, but it may be too immature, too early in its development cycle to fit within your pro program needs. So we work across this multivariate trade space to ultimately get to the best solution with the best risk profile to meet the business case that we're, that we're asked to deliver against. One of the increasingly important corners of that trade space that we at BD focus on is on the patient experience. We define that as not only the usability, about how the patient interacts with the device outside of the skin, but also what the patient, patient is experiencing as the dose is delivered and in the hours after the dose is delivered. We've built a large body of evidence over the years by incorporating our translational research capabilities into our integrated product development. 
We've conducted dozens of usability, preclinical, and clinical studies to inform not only our device development activities, but also to create a body of evidence and data that we can share with our partners as they go through their uh, trade space and make the choices about what the best solution is for the, their program. Wendy's going to talk us through an example about some of those capabilities and studies and insights. And with that, Wendy. Thank you, Peter. So as Peter so nicely articulated, the drug de development or any product development process can generate questions or run across snags that can easily be interrogated or even mediated using a translational approach and our translational research capabilities. Trans a translational approach is remarkably versatile. It can be used to assess any drug delivery concept and do that in combination with any number of injection factors, like the volume of the injection or characteristics of the formulation, such as viscosity, um, rheological property, the flow rate at which you want to deliver, the number of injection sites, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and we can use our translational approach to focus on any one of those injection factors or interrogate them in any number of combinations. And we're going to do that by innovating preclinical methods and models that allow us to perform iterative and cost-effective testing cycles on any of those combination factors that allow us to not only vet them for feasibility, but optimize the drug delivery concept and the methods we're using to gather the data before finally translating both the method and the drug delivery concept into early human clinical feasibility studies, where we get the last missing piece of the puzzle and ask our subjects how they felt about their experience. Today, I'm going to try and demonstrate for you the versatility of a translational approach by describing a case study. It's actually a pooled analysis across three early human clinical feasibility studies, all that featured large volume subcutaneous injection. Now, traditional wisdom held that the feasibility and tolerability for subcutaneous administration ended at around a 1.5 to 3 mil volume threshold. All of our studies today feature injections that exceed that threshold. In fact, we're going to focus our attention on injections at a 5 mil volume and an 8 or 20 centipoise viscosity. All of our injections were administered to one of 124 healthy adult subjects that are divided almost evenly between gender and have a body mass index that is normal overweight or obese when sorted into World Health Organization categories. Our injections were administered in one of two ways. They could be administered uh, in two of our studies using a programmable syringe pump that administered them at a constant rate, or in our third study with a fully integrated investigational wearable injector that used a spring-based modality. And all of those injections were administered to subject's abdomen or their right and left upper thigh. It's worth noting that in one of the two pump studies, a mock injector with no functionality other than adherence was adhered to the site during the injection. And that mock injector had the same weight and footprint as the investigational injector delivering the administrations in our third study. 
What we're going to do today is focus on three key endpoints gathered for each of our injections. The location of the depot and any corresponding wheel formation above that depot. Wheel formation should be understood to mean the expansion of the local tissue to accommodate that depot. And our third point are going to be our subject um, tolerability pain scores to help us understand their injection experience. By mining these outcomes for, we're going to look for patterns that are consistent across our three injection studies. And once we determine what patterns we consistently see over and over in our studies, we're going to then begin to relate them to aspects around our factors, like um, the BMI or the gender of our subjects, where they received their injection and how the injections were delivered. And I want to reiterate that each of our subjects participated in only one of our three clinical studies. Now, how are we going to gather those key endpoints? Here, we are going to rely on our methods that we honed during those iterative preclinical testing cycles. So our 5 mil plus or minus 5% delivered volume was confirmed by performing a gravimetric comparison of either the injector or the fluid path pre- and post-injection. And our injection sites and our depots were both qualified and quantified using ultrasound imagery and measurements. And if that wheel formation was observed at the site post-injection, it was also measured in three dimensions. And those used to calculate both the prominence and the footprint of the wheel. And we actually tracked those measurements out through two hours post-injection, because we also wanted to understand patterns of resolution. Finally, our subjects help us understand their experience through these injections by rating their pain on a 100 millimeter visual analog scale. Now, this is a standard scale where zero millimeters is no pain and 100 millimeters the worst pain the subjects could imagine. All the injections in our pooled analysis had a duration of around four to six minutes. So when I tell you that our subjects rated their pain during the injection, I mean it around two to three minutes, at the end of the injection, two to three minutes later, and then when the device was removed. So all the injections that qualified for our pooled analysis had consistently three depot locations that emerged. And these are summarized in the graph on the center of your slide by their frequency. So a depot could be located fully localized within the target subcutaneous tissue, and in the graph that's in dark gray. Or it could be a predominantly subcutaneous depot with some infiltration into the shallower interdermal tissue above. And on the graph that's in light gray. We also had some incidences of infiltration or deposition into the underlying intermuscular tissue. And in the graph, we're not only identifying those patterns by their frequency, but relating them to the site of the injection or how it was delivered. And we see a couple of patterns that are immediately, you know, that immediately jump out at me. First and foremost, um, intermuscular infiltration or deposition was actually exceedingly rare. In fact, we only observed it for injections into the thigh of male subjects. Secondly, our 5 mil injections were more likely to be fully localized in that target subcutaneous tissue if they had been administered using that spring-based modality. But we're further able to understand what these differences in location meant to patient experience by relating the two most common locations to our subject tolerability pain scores. And that's the graph on the far right of the slide here. Now, Again, 
our two most common depots were fully localized in the sub tissue or with minor infiltration into the interdermal tissue. And looking at the patterns, we'll notice first and foremost how transient pain actually is. So we'll note that across all of our injections, it did peak at that two to three minute point during the injection, but at the end of the injection, two to three minutes later, has already begun to resolve. And by the time the device is removed, it's almost nearly universally resolved. But if we focus on that peak pain during the injection, we also note that our subjects thought a fully localized subcutaneous depot was less painful. Our measurements of our injection sites and depots also established some really helpful and interesting patterns. For instance, that target subcutaneous tissue was significantly thicker for, an in, for the abdomen, any injection site in the abdomen of any subject, or in either injection site in females and high BMI subjects. And depots formed in that thicker tissue were more broadly distributed. And wheel formation above those more broadly distributed depots was smaller. So put another way, if your injection was administered to the thigh of any subject or to either site in a male or a low BMI subject, that wheel was more prominent with a longer time to resolution. However, if a wearable injector was adhered to the site during the injection, wheel formation was smaller. And that was true whether it was that mock injector in the pump-driven study or the fully functional injector in our third study. So that's the end of this kind of little brief case study, but I hope you'll agree with me that it was quite data rich. And I also hope you'll agree that it was a really nice way to demonstrate the power of a translational approach, what a powerful tool it can be, especially when you combine it with a refined methodology like our in-situ imaging that actually allowed us to peel back the skin surface and understand the physiological impacts that were occurring during deposition in a living subject and then relate those to how they felt about that experience. Now here, we applied that powerful combination to large volume subcutaneous delivery, but it would be equally efficacious and effective applied to any drug delivery modality or drug delivery concept. And in doing so, in understanding our patterns and relating them to key factors, we can also, for each therapeutic where you know your target patient demographic, perhaps begin to predict in clinical injections what you'll see in terms of the location of the depot, the tissue effects, and tolerability based on your target patient gender, your target patient BMI, etc., or you understand how you can influence those outcomes by the choice of the injection site you might recommend to them or the delivery modality you might choose for your injection. Also, because we performed those iterative preclinical testing cycles, we actually entered the planning for our clinical studies with an understanding of what feasibility would look like. And because we did that, we were really able to optimize our clinical trial design, making sure we were asking the right questions, making sure we were collecting the right data and assessing it through the right time course. And also, because we've actually done this, as Peter said, in dozens of studies, we have a repository of data that also allows us to really optimize delivery system design. Thank you.
Thanks, Wendy. So the topic of this talk is around considerations to de-risk large volume subcutaneous injection. And it really boils down to a couple of points. Define your requirements of what you need to accomplish in your combination product. What are your technical and programmatic requirements and constraints? Second, identify all of the risks that you can identify as holistically as possible, as early as possible, including that patient experience of both usability and the tissue effects and the, the experience of receiving an injection. And then work with a partner or a series of partners that have the experience and the expertise and the collaborative mindset that can help you work through that multivariate trade space to come up with the right solutions for your program and to prioritize key actions in order to de-risk any remaining risks that you have in order to get into clinic and then into market. So if you'd like to learn a little bit more about our capabilities or some more of the data that our translational research team has built over the years, please feel free to reach out to Wendy or myself. We'll be happy to, to collaborate with, with you and, and help you be successful. And with that, I think we have three minutes and three seconds for questions. Yes, Andrew. Yes. Uh, so, so what are some of the most common missteps uh, made in a translational approach? I'll take a first stab at that, and I'm sure Wendy will build on it. So the, the key misstep is not to integrate a translational mindset into your program. If you're just trading off on technical and programmatic uh, decisions or choices without considering what's happening within the tissue, you may be more surprised or you may be inducing, unintentionally inducing more risk once you do put your combination product into your patient's hands or deliver the, uh, the dose into their tissue. Yeah, I, I find there's this uh, mindset to do the last experiment first. But when you use that approach, you missed out on the benefit of all that iterative preclinical testing, that optimization phase. I'm frankly quite puzzled why people skip over the optimization phase that ensures especially given the cost and the public nature of a clinical trial, why would you skip over the opportunity to optimize that trial to make sure that you're going to get the most out of it? With recent innovations in large volume auto injectors, do you have any data or insights on five milliliter subcutaneous delivery? Certainly. So there's been a lot of great innovation and announcements in, in recent weeks and months about uh, larger volume auto injectors and the ability to deliver uh, five milliliters of drug products subcutaneously. I think that highlights the importance of the trade space and thinking holistically about the solution that you want to provide. Certainly the devices can be engineered to deliver drug product, but we would encourage folks to take a, a translational research approach to understanding what is that patient experience going to be from a usability standpoint, from a tissue effects, and what will that patient experience during and after the dose delivery. I think um, in the panel discussion earlier, I believe it was David King who actually made the point that not one deliver, there's not one size fits all answer. Not one delivery modality is going to be suitable for every therapeutic. And Working with someone like us or using a translational approach yourself, you can build that repository of knowledge to ensure that you're properly pairing your therapeutic with the right platform to achieve the delivery profile that your therapeutic does its best work with. And I think that's it. 
with 17 seconds to go, I want to thank you all. Thank Wendy, and we hope you have safe travels back to back to home. I think, <laughs> or to Frankfurt if you're going to CPHI. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. We hope you enjoyed this podcast recording from the Pod Partnership Opportunities in Drug Delivery 2022 Conference. For more information, please visit podconference.com.